Hi everyone, my name is Steffi, I'm a compulsive reader. This is probably very scary, not probably, definitely very scary for me because so many of you know me. Uh, so many of you have heard this friggin' story 55 times. Uh, unfortunately, it hasn't changed dramatically since the last time I stood up here. But I'm going to say it for you. You're the one person who hasn't heard it before. Yeah, so you're my audience. Um, I have been in OA, November will be 31 years. Yeah, who knew? Um, And uh, I just, Don and I um, share a birthday. Um, I just celebrated three years of no refined sugar. Um, And I'm going to go right into food because this is Overeaters Anonymous. Um, My compulsive overeating history is um, quite normal, quite routine, nothing dramatic. I was a skinny rail, did not really like food, always liked sweets. My parents were always trying to just get me to eat food, not sweets. I'm an only child. As far as I know, not abused. Um, Very much loved very much cared for. I mean, definitely problems in the family, but very much loved. Um, Don't recall anybody putting food in my mouth to um, acquiesce, to kind of make me quiet, reward me, anything. My parents just weren't like that. So that's all background to say, I have no idea why the hell I take my comfort in food. Who the hell knows? Who the hell cares? I do know that, you know, being a skinny rail and not liking food and other than sweets, I, I, in one year when I was turned 12, my parents got a divorce when I got, was 11, but when I was 12, three things happened and all of a sudden I found myself eating shit I didn't like and couldn't explain it. In one year, uh, they got a divorce. They shipped me off to boarding school. I hit puberty all in one year to an all-girls boarding school. So all of a sudden, my pastime in this very cold, distant, cold literally and figuratively, boarding school with my friends, what we did, you know, now kids get together and smoke pot or much worse. We just would sneak out of school, go to town, buy worth of chocolate and those were our midnight feasts this is how bad we were we had massive amounts of chocolate Um, the problem is that uh, I was in boarding school with my cousin the problem is that as we gained weight as teenagers every time we went back home I'm from Iran every time we went back home and we had gained weight my cousin managed to have a perfectly normal summer. She would swim. She would go out with her friends. She would participate. I would not go out of the house um, unless my parents absolutely forced me for the entire month of June till I shrank down. So from the beginning, we were both chubby 13-year-olds, 12-year-olds, how bad could it have been? 
She participated in life and I did not. I just hated my own fucking guts. Uh, that's the distinction. That's the difference between just being heavy or having a, an eating disorder. She functioned and she'd lose weight and I would just, I, I would not. So I can't say that enough. Um, 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 um. So then somewhere along the line I got anorexic. I have no idea how that happened. Um, I was there for about a nanosecond. Then I came to college in the United States, uh, left a um, cold, strict, um, again, literally and figuratively, environment and came to an open, loving, co-ed college. Wow. So then here I am, 16, co-ed college in Denver, have no, even less equipped to deal with life and all this American chocolate and American donuts. And I'm like, woohoo! And I don't know if you know, you know, if you compare food and if you know what England is like, but the portions are, you know, you always hear food in England kind of qualifies as an um, appetizer here. So I got here and I'm like, touchdown! So, um, just went batshit crazy with food, tried drugs, definitely loved drugs, but here is the difference. Um, didn't get hooked on drugs, loved them, which is why, you know, some people can eat food, uh, overeat food and not be addicted. I love drugs, but I was not addicted. The one that I wake up, day, I would wake up day in, day out and say, I can't believe I did this again was food. It wasn't drugs. Um, I don't even remember my sophomore and senior years. Not because I was high on anything, but because I hated my own guts so much that, um, and it was all hangover from food. Don't even remember. I, I'm pretty sure I graduated really with a high um, GPA, but it was, it, my, I could tell you my life in terms of food. I have no idea what I studied. Um, came to California, uh, read an article, still going up and down, read an article um, in Cosmo magazine about the term compulsive overeating. And all of a sudden it was like, ah, okay, there's a name to this. And it's a known condition. And in the article, they talked about Alcoholics Anonymous. And at that point, I really didn't know anyone in AA, but I knew Alcoholics Anonymous to be a very reputable, legitimate organization. So immediately I felt, um, wow, if this can, this, uh, you know, alcohol, it, I didn't think it, w it would help me. I don't even know if I read the word Overeaters Anonymous. I really can't tell. But there was an analogy to alcoholism and to Alcoholics Anonymous, and I just felt like, Oh, this is this this I can relate to. I'm not just feeble. I'm not just weak-willed. There's this is something. Then um, a dear friend brought me to my first a OA meeting. It was Serenity Sunday on Santa Monica Boulevard and Wilshire in a bank underground. All I remember from that were Jack and Carrie. And each of them said, 
I used to weigh 300 pounds and now I don't. And I'm looking at them saying, holy crap. I used to weigh 400 pounds and now I don't. Holy crap. How is that possible? And for long terms. So um, I was totally tuned in till somebody said God. And I'm like, oh, fuck, no. Surely you just. You really cannot get it, be getting my hopes up like this and then come like this. Thanks, but no thanks. I'm out. Then... Um, I got in a bad car accident, and I broke my pelvis. I had to walk with a walker, and, you know, 30-some-odd years ago, the walkers were kind of old lady walkers. You pick them up, put them down, pick them up, put them down. And I found, so they didn't have a tray, they didn't have anything. Pick them up, you know, so it's an effort to go from here to there. Takes you five minutes. I couldn't cross Wilshire in one light. I found out even with that, oh, in my accident, you know, I was kind of like unconscious for about a week. And when I came to, I said, hey, have I lost any weight? And I had lost weight. <laughs> I, did, I did confirm that I was not paralyzed first. So have I lost, for, have I lost weight was actually my second question. So I, know, I, I noticed that um, even with this, I started gaining weight again. So you've got to really think about how determined I was to eat when I had to do this. And I certainly couldn't take it back to sit somewhere. I had to eat what I had. You know, I had to stand there and eat it and then go back. So here I was gaining weight on that again. And I just then started coming back to OA. And this is... The part that I love about OA, my, I, not just OA, all 12 steps, the fact that you can absolutely do it at your own pace. Um, of course, you get the benefits of it at your own pace, but nobody forced me to do anything. Nobody uh, forced me to say anything, um, to eat a certain way, nothing. It was all... You know, free will is a curse as well as a, um, as well as a gift. I started going to the newcomers meeting in Law Cabin. Doris Jean, for those of you who remember them, these lovely, kind, funny old ladies. I would always go in after the meeting started, and John, I realized why we do that. I just didn't want to talk to people. I th you know, John and I were talking before um, the meeting, or John made a comment that, you know, in AA, people get there very early for a meeting, and I think a, alcoholics genuinely like people. <laughs> I genuinely don't like people, and I like to have my distance. So I would come in so that I wouldn't have to talk to anyone. And I'd certainly leave right before it ended because I didn't know um, the prayer. I didn't want to hold hands. I didn't want to touch anyone. And I didn't know the prayer. So I would sneak in and sneak out for a while. But I heard what was said. Um, abstinence, very fortunately for me, it was a time that they still had the concept of gray sheet, which is a prescribed way of eating. You know, you eat this for breakfast, you eat that for lunch. But it wasn't mandatory. Um, because my problem had never been big meals. I've never binged on steak, on pizza, on pasta. I couldn't give a rat's ass about any of those. Never did, still don't. 
Um, then with this one, one day, I was sitting there, and I did not get out fast enough. And this, this wonderful lady came up to me and said, Hi, are you new? I said, Yeah. Um, so Liz, my first sponsor, she, she started talking to me and um, asked what my food history was. And I said, It's all sugar. And, he said, uh, and she said, Do you think you cannot have sugar today? I said, Absolutely not. What's the matter with you? Um, she said, Okay, do you think you, can ha- you cannot have refined sugar? I said, what the hell does that mean? And she said, well, there are all sorts of other things. So this was, I think, a Saturday, and Log Cabin is on Robertson and um, Melrose or something. And she took me to Irwan. She drove me to Irwan. Um, Irwan is a health food store for those who don't remember it. Um, And she introduced me to fruit juice sweetened stuff, to honey sweetened stuff. And she said, do you think you can have this instead of uh, M&M's and donuts? I said, yeah, I think I can do that. And that's literally how it started. That's my abstinence, no refined sugar. So it started with no M&M's and donuts and refined sugar stuff, but massive amounts, you know, calorie-wise, if I think about it. Oh, my God, if I did that to my poor little body now, I'd, I'd just die. Massive amounts of fruit juice sweetened stuff. But it started, I mean, that was my abstinence. And, and I, you know, this ties to step three. If you read, um, I, I did my, my, I read AA's 12 and 12. And it says the key is willingness. You just have to pick up the key. And everything that I do with food, with everything else in life, Literally, it's just a, an itsy bitsy, not literally, it's figuratively, Sethi, itsy bitsy little step. If I had to do anything, if, if the action were what normal people take when they want to do something, that would paralyze me, never would get started. But this program has given me a framework that applies to anything. It started with food, obviously, but then you extend, you know, 30 years later, hopefully I can apply it to other things. So um, that's the short version. I, I think at my heaviest, I was probably 50 pounds more than now. At my lowest, I was probably 30 pounds less than now. Um, so, how, okay, where the hell am I? Okay, now I need to get into the steps and, and God and how I work my program. Um, I did the steps as they are written in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous as, and, and supported with AA's 12 and 12. I've gone through them officially probably four times in 30 years in sequence. I do six and seven Every day, because past a certain point you get to the fact, past a certain point you realize what your common character defects are, what is your default mode um, when not practicing, minus fear and lashing out as a result of fear. So um, immediately now there's a shorthand. Where do I feel threatened and what is it that feels threatened and how did I lash out at somebody or um, not even, you know, past, again, past a certain point, you're human enough to not just take it out on people, but how did I do something that was motivated out of fear? Um, it's a very tricky program. 
because the only way that you can outrun this, you know, I, I'm very hyper in case you can't tell. I'm very, very hyper and this thing goes much faster than I can catch up with it. And the only thing that can quiet it down, including drugs, is um, service to others. That's the only time, and you know, it is a trick by God as far as I'm concerned. It's just the nasty joke. <laughs> um, God, the concept of God was very difficult for me. Um, I come from a background that really looked down upon um, religion. It was a, a tool for the uneducated masses. That's how I was raised. So it, you know, my parents are dentists, everyone in my family is a doctor, so it was very, very scientific, and God just doesn't factor in there. And then I got to step two in 12 and 12, and there's the part that says we had to look at the data, and that was like a bucket of cold water, and I realized um, my prejudice was not exactly scientific. My prejudice against religion was not exactly scientific. So I started. I started um, saying, okay, if you're there, I'm going to Vons on Santa Monica. If you're there, you've got to help me not buy that bag of M&Ms. And it happened. I walked up and down that friggin' aisle for half an hour, put it in my in-basket and took it out half an hour. If somebody, if there was a video at that time, they would have thought this woman is surely here to cause mayhem. Um, but there was the first time I walked out without buying M&Ms. I remember about a month into abstinence, you know, you're still crazy just because you don't, eat sugar doesn't mean you're sane it's raining I'm on my way to work I thought I could make the red light I could not slammed into somebody corner of Pico and La Brea and all I remember from that accident is God help me not if you're there help me not go across the street across the intersection to buy donuts and because that's what I know I knew to do with fear. I had very clearly ran the red light and slammed into somebody. Instantly, my mind went to, I've lost my license, I've lost everything, and just, that's five minutes? Okay, thank you. So, Carol suggested, since everybody's heard the story, that I should talk about what happened for me this last two weeks. This thing that happened was two weeks ago but I gotta say it because to me it's the best thing that has ever happened to me and it is totally God it has nothing to do with all the actions that I take I know you all are going to think this is stupid but I interpret this as God did this for me I am a 30 year fan of a band called Depeche Mode I'm, I'm <laughs> fanatical about them I'm just fanatical about them um, one day I was at work, my friend Marlene came and said, Seppi, they're, you know, they're, go to Facebook. I'm like, why? Go to this page. Fine. We went there. Uh, KCRW had four sets of tickets to give to Depeche Mode. Fine. Entered it. Entered my name. Went back to work. Wake up Tuesday morning. There's an email. You're on the waiting list. 
called my cousin in, in um, Orange County. She's as, as crazy as I am about demotes. Shireen, come on up. Uh, why? No. I said, Shireen, be on standby. You might have to come up tonight. Short version, by 11 o'clock, I had one. Now, this is a private a venue of 100 people. I've seen them in... Uh, I've seen them in huge, huge venues. But short version, my cousin and I had an experience of a lifetime close to this guy we have idolized for 30 years. We're all like, she, she and I are trying to grab his butt. And the, and the whole time, honestly, I'm thinking... There's nothing I could have done to make this happen. Now, of course, I entered my name, but this, so I had to do something. But that's the metaphor for God has given me things that even in my fantasy days, I could not, you know, when I was binging on sugar and I had these scenarios about, you know, how much money I was going to have, who I was going to marry, None of those things came true, but the things that came true were things that I didn't even know to ask for, which are infinitely more precious. I didn't know what peace of mind meant. I had never had it. Um, I have that in so many areas. I, you know, again, I couldn't have dreamt it. So when they say, you know, uh, my life surpasses my wildest dreams, it's not that I have a yacht and I have five fur coats and I have the things that I thought would make me happy. I have the things only because of 12 steps. Let's be abundantly clear. Just because of 12 steps. Didn't know that they're even an option. And I enjoyed them a lot more. Because when I had the possessions that I thought would fix it, never, ever fixed it. Never, ever fixed it. I um, have started meditating about five minutes uh, every morning. I, I always do the praying, but I figured, you know, when I turn 30, I can just do five minutes. Five minutes. I do five minutes. I listen to Joe and Charlie tapes. I've always used my commute to listen to um, an AA tape of some sort. So now I'm listening, or OA tape of some sort. Now I'm listening to the interpretation, uh, not interpretation, how the big book was written. Incredible. I find 12, the, uh, you know, I do a lot of work on positive thinking, goal setting, blah, blah, blah. You know what? The most concise, consolidated, actionable version of it is in uh, the big book. Literally the most actionable, fastest shortcut we get for free. Um, I mean, I, uh, Tony Robbins, uh, what is it, Dwayne, Wayne Dwight, Dwight, whatever the hell their names are. All of them. 12 steps gets you, boom. I genuinely love this program. Um, I genuinely feel I would not have anything because of this. This is why, you know, I'm here uh, when, when asked to, because I am beyond a shadow of a doubt convinced I would lose everything that is precious to me if I, just a matter of time, if I didn't work these steps. So thank you for letting me share. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Please, uh, also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of, Al of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, 
Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Sure. You talked about sort of in your earlier life, sort of just having low self-worth, like beating yourself and wearing a health program to help you with that. Mm -hmm. How do you handle that feelings of sort of, you know, self-hatred? Well, um, you know, I can honestly say 30 years later, there's, uh, do I, yes. They come off of five seconds. Oh my God, how could I have done that? How could I have done that? And immediately, um, the benefit of 30 years kicks in. Um, feeling particularly bad about yourself is the flip side of pride. I know that from having worked steps six and seven. If you think you're uniquely bad, you're uniquely uh, worthless, that's another way of staying in your head and not being in the moment, paying attention to the road, asking somebody how they're doing. So I realized um, after having heard, you know, there's nothing, probably the hardest thing for me to accept in 12 steps was that I'm not unique. And, um, it, we're, you know, that was my biggest fear. There's something special about me. You know, I should be able to eat whatever I want and not gain weight. The laws of nature don't apply to me. So the reverse is true. If I am uniquely bad, I'm so despicable, how could I have done this? I should have. I should have. Um, it's so easy to say after 30 years, I should have, blah, blah. It's another, it's six and seven, it's pride in reverse, and another way for me to not work, to not do an email, I've got to do a proposal. So um, I'm very scientific about it. It's end of conversation. It's just a, an excuse. And... I also know I have years and years, which accumulates, of doing esteemable things. When, you know, this, this all adds up. Being there for other people, you kind of build a little bank account that you draw on. That's what I do today. Yes. Yes. Thank you for your share. Sure. Okay, I'm sorry, I forgot to repeat the first question. The second question, um, my approach to amends, the harms I did when I was overeating. Um, I go to a lot of AA meetings, and let me tell you, um, I feel so silly with my amends. I didn't, you know, do anything naked. I didn't break anything. I didn't end up anywhere. So for compulsive overeating, the amount of amends, the type of amends I had to do were very... um, benign. Um, the amends that I had to do, there was some money. Uh, certainly I, I had stolen food from places. You know, what do you steal? Food, nothing else. Um, I had to make those amends and if they're embarrassing as shit to go to a place and say, hey, I stole some donuts from here. And they look at you like you have seven heads. Um, I had to tell my aunt I stole money from her purse or if she gave me money, you know, when I was younger, when She'd given me money to go grocery shopping. I didn't return the whole change because I bought some extra chocolate for myself. And she too looked at me like, why would you do that? You could have just asked for more. It's a very humbling experience. But the biggest amends has to do with when I did things when I was under the influence of food and I was angry and I lashed out at people. And... um, 
you just you suck it up and you do it and um, I did them everybody that I said them to kind of looked at me they couldn't understand what I was saying again the first time I did my immense 30 years ago I don't think even people outside of LA knew what Overeaters Anonymous is certainly my family thought had no idea what I'm talking about um, it's a very small price to pay to for a very big payoff today I don't do nine but I do ten I still lash out at people I still say inappropriate stuff and everybody at my work just they, they laugh at me because they've never seen anybody like me who says something and five minutes later goes and says I'm sorry I really shouldn't have said that I was thinking they, they are like huh okay um, but so uh, by no means am I free of, of things that require um, amends but I can sit with them so much less time I have to take corrective measures right away and it's become second nature and I don't feel doing that uh, takes away from my pride I, I, it's, it's become second nature I do something and it just eats at me till I address it and today eating at me is not going to lead to food but probably for the first 10 years if I had done something 10 years of abstinence if I had done something that gnawed at me it would have turned up in frozen yogurt sugar free frozen yogurt so again I just don't want to gain weight so I do what I have to do Thank you. Um, you say you live a lot of steps six and seven, so mm-hmm. why? Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to hear your opinion. I have my own about what is the difference between a character defect and a shortcoming. Well, because I listen to um, Joe and Charlie all the time, um, they say that, you know, they talk about Bill and how Bill wrote. And Bill, um, it was, I listened to a CD that they talked about how Bill had actually written the 12 steps. And it's so much stricter than the version we have now. I, it was hysterical. You, you know, there are no suggestions. These are friggin' directions. But one of the things that uh, Joe and Charlie say is that Bill liked to say the same thing over and over again using different words. Um, you know, suggestion, direction, recommendation, those, they're all meant to say something. For me, character defect and shortcoming are the exact same thing. It could be vice for somebody who doesn't uh, attach any kind of a moral code to the word vice. For me, it's uh, something that I am doing that the course needs uh, correction. And I know now that, again, in the first 20 probably up to 20 I used to think there's no way there's a payoff for me in fear there's no way there's a payoff for me in lashing you know Terrell knows Terrell was with me for the first before I got married once a week I was convinced that I'm dying of something so (laughs) Natalie Natalie coined it oh sepiitis is struck again and I used to tell Terrell how could I be enjoying sepiitis when I think oh well, I tell you how I enjoyed sepiitis. I was convinced for an hour or a day that I'm dying. Uh, oh, my parents, oh, um, go to the doctor. The doctor would laugh at me. The, once I got the clear, uh, clean bill of health, I got to reward myself with extra food. I had just come back from death. That, that's, that's how, you know, so now I'm very clear what the payoff is. 
um, now I'm very clear what the opposite action is, which is the only thing I can do. I can't, I can't force fear to be removed. I can only take little steps, and it's, you know, God's to remove it. I can't be better than I am. I can just take little actions. Um, but to me, those two words are the same thing because of how I've been told Bill writes. Yes. And then, I'll, and then you too. Yes. Um, thank you for your share. Sure. Uh, you talked about when you started addressing the question of God and you examined the data. Could you elaborate on that? What did you sure. examine what did you find? Um, I... Both in OA and in AA, I'm not alcoholic, but I go to that because I consider, you know, funny. They're just funnier than overeating. Um, the data for me is that people who had much longer eating history than I did, mine was really between 12 and 25, have managed to stay thin and even lap band surgery doesn't work. Even cutting your stomach doesn't work. But people much, much heavier than me, with much longer, um, with much, much worse issues, have managed to stay thin. So this works. People who have had thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who have had chemical dependency, you know, with heroin, those things, apparently you just crave them. Those are chemical. They've managed to stay dry only with this. So if you think that this doesn't apply to you, that's the data. That's the scientific data. There's got to be something here that wasn't in Jenny Craig, that wasn't in shots, that wasn't in, um, you know, hypnotism. I I tried all of them. So if people who were 300, 400 pounds have managed to stay normal weight for 20 years, that's got to count for something. Okay. Yes, Nelly. Um, your relationship with your family and people around you. How it's changed? Okay. My family... Uh, oh, the question is, how did my... Uh, thank you. How did my relationship with my family and people around me change? As I said, my family is from Iran. The 12-step concept, if it exists there, was certainly not advertised. So my cousin calls... My cousin says, oh, hey, are you still going to Assholes Anonymous? I'm like, yep, I'm on my way. They don't understand it. They think, they think I was just chubby. What is this business? Are you still going there? You're still skinny. Why are you, you're really not going to eat this Cadig or whatever the hell. You know, these guys know what I'm talking about. Absolute, the first few years were hell because they didn't understand it. They made fun of it. Um... What meant, what happened, and it, then it became, oh, Seppi, you know, she's a little different, but, oh, but we love her. She's a little different now, but we love her. Now, all of those same people say, um, congratulations, we did not see what you were doing, but God love you. Because they've all come full circle to some of the things I used to say. And it was, and, but again, um, It was easy for me. I'm an only child. You know, as I said, I went to boarding school. I always had distance from people. I always managed to leave. I still leave if I don't. I never go anywhere without my car. So I wasn't constantly stuck with people who disapproved of me. I would always leave. But um, now everybody says, now we're at a point where people say, "Uh, you need to go to a meeting? 
So they see the value. They don't understand it, but they appreciate there's something to it. And of course, the people who were the least judgmental were the people who had no problems. They didn't have any drinking or any other. The ones who did judge, you know, aside from not understanding, usually had an ism of some sort <laughs> in my family. Yes, I just... Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about success at work in your career? Oh, God, yes. And how it to fear people Sure. I want to talk... I still have... Okay. I'm glad you asked that. Um, question is, work, um, how I apply the principles, uh, how I try to not do people-pleasing. Yeah, like when something's uncomfortable at work. Okay. Like you or... Okay. Uh, very good question. Thank you. People-pleasing, someone doesn't like me. I have, um, I'm with a very wonderful, reputable corporation. I have a very senior job. Um, Carol always says, hey, every time you think you get, you're going to get fired, you keep going up. Um, this is one of the key things that I was talking about. I wanted to be the CEO of something. But I, you know, if I had been given the responsibilities of a CEO, I would have cracked. So, but I'm, I have a very beautiful work environment with an extremely reputable company that is on Wall Street all the time, Wall Street Journal. Um, I'm always in fear of hurting someone and wanting to be pleased. My job, by definition, many times I'm saying no. Um, I'm saying no to people who their work pays my salary. It's a very scary position to say no and enforce no. But it's all the 12 steps. Um, I refrain from writing an email in anger. Again, didn't happen magically. Happened after 50 times that I had to say, you know how I sent you that? I really didn't mean it that. Um, I, it's the six and seven. I immediately know do I want to be liked by this guy who brings in five million a year? Absolutely. Um, will I do something and say something that is, you know, what is my motivation if I give him a break? I let him um, deviate from policy. Uh, am I just trying to be liked? Is this my fiduciary responsibility to my company or not? I would not be where I am at work if it weren't for 12 steps. But it's the exact same principles. I don't do anything differently. Um, none of my business if they like me or not. Very, very difficult concept when somebody doesn't like you. Very easy to say when you're loved. Very difficult to do it. But even that, it's five minutes at a time. I've been in situations where people, I've said no to people, as I said, who pay my salary. And you're like, oh, fuck, what the hell does this mean now? Um, yesterday, I had to say no to a proposal to the biggest biller in our firm. And I had to say, okay, these are the risks we're assuming. And told my boss, this is what I'm doing because of that. He gets paid to have my back. But I get paid to write a professional email and not an emotional email, a fact-based email. And I can only do that because of restraint of pen and tongue that I learned here. Instead of saying, oh my God, how stupid could you be to expose us to this risk? It's all, it's, that, that's, a, a, you know, my de facto email is what the fuck. 
And that, that's what I want to say. But you don't. Uh, I think I'm... Yeah. Okay, bring it on, baby. Yes, thank you. My recovery when it comes, because, you know, he's listened to me 30 years say I'm a tight size zero. Um, I knew he was going to have a doozy for me. Two weeks ago, I went to a wedding. I wore a dress that I hadn't worn for 30 years. And it fit, and it was it fit perfectly. Uh, leave alone the fact that it was 30 years old. But, hey, I'm going to go down in flames. I'm going to be an 80-year-old wearing clothes appropriate for a 20-year-old. Um, <laughs> I, I, I will, will I ever look in the mirror and say, God, I love my butt? I don't think so. Um, will I ever, I am getting to the point where I say, you know what? If I can still wear stuff that I wore 30 years ago, this is good enough. Maybe I don't need to be a loose size zero. Maybe, maybe the fact that, you know, 50 years of jumping up and down my knees work that's thank you body that the knees haven't given out thank you joints that you still keep going um, when you know I have the humility to see man my cousin my best friend this stream that I talked about my age she came close to death maybe this you know if I don't see all the bones I want to see that's good enough it's hard every single day it's a conversation but it's not as you know, it's not, I'm going to sit on the life cycle for two hours anymore. Thank you, Carol. <laughs> Thank you, guys.